You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, thanks so much for being here today. As I reflect on my life, I look back at places where I know God has absolutely healed me. There was struggle and difficulty and things that I couldn't overcome in my own strength And I really believe that he came and healed me and peeled things off of me that were weighing me down in my most desperate times that he did that. And in other places in my heart and life where I felt so bound to sin, I never thought I would be free and he brought freedom there as well. And sometimes though for us we struggle to connect with that idea. We struggle to feel like God is with us, and, and maybe you feel like me many times that our heart, my heart's moving away from him rather than moving towards him. And just like the man who is desperate for Christ to heal his child, I feel like I say, Lord, help, or I believe in you, but help my unbelief. And that's a prayer that maybe you pray, or that's a place that you find yourself where you're needing desperate hope in something or someone. And there are many Companies and organizations and groups and individuals that have built what feels like a nearly unending amount of dollar signs type of business around the idea of solutions. And so there's software solutions, consulting solutions, manufacturing solutions, relationship and parenting solutions even. Anything that will help us get from where we are to where we want to be, whether it's a person or a process And there is an incredible business around just help me get from where I am to where I need to go. And perhaps the solution that you're looking for today isn't, hey, I want to automate some part of my business. But it really is, I just want to hold it together and make it through the day today, Lord. Do you ever feel like hope and encouragement is just leaking out of you? You remember the last time that you felt strong in your relationship with God or with others? So I would extend the question to you today, are you living like you're familiar with the power of God in your life? And that's what we're going to talk about today, whether God's power in our life makes a real difference right where we are and in the circumstances that we live in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in John chapter 11 today, and we've got a little bit of ground to cover, 44 verses, uh, but we won't be here. I'll get you out for lunch in time, I promise. We'll be on page 897 if you want to grab the Bible in the seat back in front of you there and track along. And within our Ridgewood Church app, uh, you can just click Media, Sermon Study Guide, and then the top two buttons, and it'll open you to being able to track along with where we are today. And we've got uh, Wi-Fi for you if you don't have that and want to download that now. I won't shame you for that. Um, The big idea, though, today in John 11 is knowing the power of God. Are we familiar with it in our lives, and do we know it personally? And we've been in a series, and will continue to be for a while, in the Gospel of John called Learning Jesus. And so we, today is the, the cap on the seven signs or miracles that Jesus performed before his death. And so we've been on quite a journey, and today we're wrapping up with Lazarus being raised from the dead in our verses here. And so there's a lot of ground to cover But we're going to look at the four sections today just under the banner of four big ideas as we go through today. And so I invite you to um, turn your attention here to verse 1 in chapter 11. And we're centering around initially understanding the desperate need of the family that we see here today. And I would encourage you to relate to the scriptures as well for yourself and the desperate need that we all find ourselves in. And so look at 
verse 1 of chapter 11 and follow along with me if you would. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. So the scene is desperate, and we're initially confronted with getting a little bit of a picture of who this family is. And so in the Gospel of John, we see them here in this passage. Also in Luke's Gospel in chapter 10, we see a little bit about who Mary and Martha are and the relationship that Christ had with uh, Lazarus and his sisters. And we know that Martha is wired for doing. She is an active, task-oriented person, whereas Mary is more focused on relationships. Christ loved this family and was invested in who they are. And the situation with Lazarus um, got his attention, certainly, and he knew what was taking place. And he knew timing that was different than what the family knew. And how many times do we feel that in our own life where we go, Lord, if this is the time or this is the season that this needs to take place. And our timing doesn't so often match up with his because he has a greater purpose. And we'll see the importance of the greater purpose there. So there's a deeper undercurrent that Christ wants to show the people as we go through our story. He loves this family. I would encourage you to think about the love that you have for maybe close family friends, whether you think about your folks and how they were always hanging out with the Swensons or the Petersons or whoever of the Johnsons, since we're in the Scandinavian world here. Um, family friends that maybe you have eaten dinner a lot with, gone on trips with, maybe there's people now like that in your life, whether it's community group or those that you went to college with. The point is that he was very close with them. And just feel that kind of same love that you have for those people that are dear in your life. The relationships, the friendship is close there. And he lets the disciples know that it's time to go visit the family. And there was a little bit of a ruckus caused by Christ. And people were angry with him and were seeking to stone him. And so his disciples get kind of brought into the fray. And it's a little bit of a tense situation because they're realizing if we're going to be near to Christ, we're going to have to move out and go with him back through dangerous territory. And so for Thomas to say in verse 16, like we're going to go, I guess we'll go and die with him, their desire to remain close to Christ kept them moving forward with him. They were willing to move into harm's way in order to stay close. 
And there's much more that Jesus will show them and that we'll see that as we move to verse 17 in our story here. We see Christ saying, this is who I am. And it's important picture because I am was a way that God referred to himself all throughout the scriptures. And after first service, a lady came up to me and said, in our Bible study, we're studying the I am's and this week was this passage. So it's great the Lord's timing in that. Look at verse 17 as we go through this next section. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany, where they were, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. We'll hit the pause button for a second. When Jesus arrives, he's confronted with Lazarus being in the tomb now four days. And this wasn't outside of his knowledge. But we understand it's because he desires his followers to experience and see the power and receive from him the power of God. The time frame is important as well because... It wasn't as though Lazarus went down into the tomb to take a nap or maybe he had been ill. He had been in there a long time with a stone over the top for four days. And as Christ comes, he doesn't even get into the village when Mary or Martha the doer goes out and in her own strength goes to meet him out there. And she confronts him with her version of, if you had only been here. And she leans into him with that. And it's interesting how in our own lives, we often have our own if-only statements before God. If you had only given me more money in this season, it would have worked out. Or if I had just had more time with this person. Or if you had just delivered in all the ways that I think, and we go to the Lord with our own if-only statements. God, if you had just, and then right now, fill in the blank. There's things in each one of our hearts that we feel along those lines. And Martha is in full and desperate grief mode at the loss of her brother. And Jesus can bear up under the weight of her wonderings, her questions, and her struggles. And I just would encourage you today that following Christ is not about go figure it out, get all your questions answered, and then come back to Christ, but it's come and be with Christ. And in his presence, he can bear up under the weight of your struggle over the wonderings and the things that you're dealing with, that Christ is there for you. She experienced that with him, and her heart is continuing to cling to hope. She believes that he can do something on her behalf, and Christ gently reassures her, your brother will rise. And the next few verses here lay a wonderful foundation for all of us that are followers of Christ, and it gives us unending hope in the future of what we experience. So check that out on the screen here, 25 through 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And her confession is very powerful and important for us. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
So Jesus is laying out for us that death isn't the end for us. It's not a closure to the book on our life for those of us that are followers of Jesus, but that we receive from him eternal life. And there's an unending hope in that that's given to us because of Christ and who he came to be and who he is for us. And Christ extends the same question that he asked Martha, do you believe this, to each one of us as well. And so I'd ask you, do you believe in it? Martha's response was amazing as she affirms, you are the Christ. And she's saying that you are the anointed one, the chosen Messiah, the one that we've longed for. And I was reading in devotional time this morning in John 4, and the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, she wasn't even Jewish, said to Christ, we've been waiting for the Messiah. And so how much more for those that are uh, the chosen people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, that he would be appearing and that he's the chosen Messiah. She's affirming that and saying, you are the Lord and you're, you are, have enough power to accomplish all that you say that you would in my life. She's essentially saying, you are who you say you are and you have the power that I need to experience. That's her confession. And it's a wonderful part of experiencing God that what ultimately we get is that is we receive Christ himself. And he's so tender and he's so intimate with us. And as we go into the third section here today, we see that Jesus comes to our level. That he comes down to our level and meets us right where we are. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called to her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she had gone to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? So Mary goes to Christ and the crowd follows her. And she starts in on the Lord with her own version if you had only been here. But instead of correcting her and responding to her right away, He comes to her level and is moved not to just a few tears, but to heavy, significant crying, sorrow, deep grief. Jesus wept. If you've ever wondered if the God of the universe cares about you, if he's connected to where you are and what you're going through, whether he knows your situation and whether he sees you, this is an important passage for us to see that Christ comes right in to where we are. So think about your own situation now and the stresses that you're experiencing, the struggles that you're having. Maybe it's around finances and you're just going, when will this ever be enough? Perhaps there's calamity that you're experiencing, a series of situation after situation and things just could not be feeling more overwhelming for you. Maybe there's a tension in your life that you feel like you can't solve or get rid of and you never thought that it would happen to you like this. Perhaps it's family And within maybe your marriage or with your kids, you're like, I just want to keep these kids moving in the right direction. I just don't know if I can do it. 
Or maybe it's health, and you're saying, will the health that I have last? Or perhaps you're saying, with where I am in my body today, will it ever improve? And how rich it is for us to see that he comes to our level and gets close to us. Theologians talk about the incarnation of Christ, that he came from heaven and dwelt among us and put on flesh. We saw that in John 1. They use the word, the condescension of Christ. And within our culture, we use that in somewhat of a negative sense. You know, don't be condescending to me, and that sort of thing. But in the best sense of the word, Christ condescended into our life. And in this moment, he got low with where Mary was and with where they were to know their pain, to know their need. And he does that with us as well, to know us intimately, that he comes to our level. A close friend of mine shared a number of years ago that she never remembers a time when her dad got down on the floor and played with her. In all of the growing up years, she never experienced him entering into the things that she was doing. And so rather than having closeness, distance was kept. And what do you begin to believe about yourself if that's your experience or that's what you feel? What kind of message does that send? And whether you've ever put your faith in Christ or not, or if you feel like you're distant from the Lord, may I just say to you that if that's how you view God, I would ask you to look again at who he is. If you feel like he's distant and unknowable and uninterested, if there's ever a passage in a spot where we see Christ coming towards us, be encouraged to see the Savior moving into where you are and weeping over the things and the concerns of your life, that he loves you and that he's near. He desires a relationship with us. And pastor and author Caesar Kalinowski from the Pacific Northwest, he says that the kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship, which essentially means that Christ desires a relationship with us. He seeks to come close to who we are. He gets down at our level to feel our pain. And then it's through that relationship that then he desires us to do the same thing in the lives of other people. And so the kingdom moves at the speed of relationships when we begin to get low and invest in the lives of other people as well. Because God does desire a relationship with us and he means for us to give that away to others. The crowd points to how much Jesus loved Lazarus and then they also to some extent question his power. Wouldn't he have done something if he really wanted to or if he could, why didn't he do something? And that takes us as we turn towards closing into the last piece of our passage here today and this really is the moment of Christ demonstrating both his power and his glory are revealed. And so look with me in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, always willing to throw her opinion in, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Absolutely amazing. 
And I just can't imagine being there in that moment. For Jesus to go into the tomb area would have been a bold and an eerie thing to do in my view. His body had been gone for four days and he was wrapped and he was under a stone and they moved that stone away. And here's a picture of what traditionally they believe Lazarus's tomb uh, looked like. And so there was a stone over the top of it. And within their day, they would, uh, the tradition was that they would put the body in there for about a year or so. And then the families would come back and gather the bones. And so tombs were oftentimes used over and over again, which in my view adds exponentially to the creepy factor. But Christ's love persists. And I love what one commentator says on this. He says, John here chose to focus on the opponents, those that didn't think that Christ could do it. They're saying if he could have done it, he would have done it. John focuses on the opponent's refusal to accept a most strategic sign that should permit no other interpretation than the presence of divine power in their midst. So wouldn't he have done something if he could have, was the thought. And the commentator goes on, with the authorities who operated within their closed religious system be willing to recognize a messenger from God who colored outside of their lines. Did God have to operate in their box of rules to be acceptable? The answer is that the religious authorities had a major problem with a person who didn't fit the guidelines for, the, for acceptability in their day. Christ came and he raised him from the dead. Many of his opponents or naysayers were pointing to maybe Jesus is more like a magician or a trickster in a way to belittle what Christ had done in all of the other signs. And I love in this one that what Christ does next would topple their case and they would have nothing against him as they experienced what he did. And he said to them, did I not tell you that if you believed you'd experience and see the glory of God? And Jesus prayed to the Father and he did that in front of all of the people so that they would see both his sonship, and he's talking to his father, but then he was also demonstrating for us what it looks like to pray in faith and to relate to God, not just as a being that's distant out there, but in an intimate way. Christ demonstrates that and says, I pray on their behalf. And he says that they may believe that you sent me. And that can be thought of as a mission statement for why he came and for what he was showing them there. And we'll see that all throughout the remaining parts of the Gospel of John in our Learning Jesus series, this will be a critical piece of that, that they may believe that you sent me. And he acts for us to build and increase and to grow our faith, that we would experience his power and know that power, not just in a ritualistic way, just going through the motions, but that we'd have a relationship with God and we'd be acquainted with his power. And can you imagine the moment when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, And all of the faculties of every person there, the disciples, the crowd, the family would have just frozen in that moment as they're watching. And out comes their beloved friend and brother. What an astonishing moment to have been a part of as they participated in that. And it's an important connection showing us Christ's power as he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's pointing towards what he would do in his power over death when Christ would rise again after his death. And I love what Mark Batterson, he's a pastor in the D.C. area, says, when Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. That he rose Lazarus from the dead and he would rise again himself. And here's the thing. Our faith is in view, and this is a personal thing, and it's meant to be personal 
for us. As we look again at verse 44, watch what happens and what Christ involved them in. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, to them, unbind him and let him go. So they were brought into active participation in the miracle that just took place. Can you imagine being one of the people to go and unwrap his legs and his arms and then to unwrap his face that Lazarus was with them again and Christ had made that possible and that his power was what made that a reality. An incredible thing. And I just would ask you one more time, do you believe, do you believe that God has this kind of power, that he's personal with you and he desires to work that out in your life as well? What would your life look like if you embraced this? Are there decisions, are there situations in your life right now that would become clearer, that would be easier to bear up under if you had faith in this kind of power and in the God that raised Lazarus from the dead and ultimately would rise himself from the dead? Are you like Martha where you believe but you're like, have your plan B just in case God doesn't come through? She likes to act. Maybe you're like Mary where you believe but you get uh, brought up into the swirl of circumstances in your life. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? That the same Savior that heals or raises Lazarus from the dead also saves those that would follow Jesus and that saving faith is essentially the same confession that Martha gave where she said, yes, Lord. So in calling him Lord, she's saying, you are the boss. You are the leader. You're the guide of my life. She said, yes, Lord, and I believe you're the resurrection and the life and that he is who he says he is and that he has the power to save. That's saving faith, putting our trust and hope in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross and that he rose on the third day and defeated death on our behalf. What freedom from sin could we have and what joy could we walk in in our life as we trust in God's power? And that he desires to be personal with you, to work that out in your life, that you would be a blessing to others and receive strength for your day to day as you know the power of God. I'll just invite, invite you to bow your heads with me. And we'll just sit quietly for a minute. I'd love for you to consider a couple things as you sit. Would you just ponder how these verses and the truth of what we've seen today should impact your life in your home. And then with that, how does God want you to respond today? Let's just sit quietly for a minute and then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.